All right, if you will, open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And today we are going to have a Christmas message, a message tied to the birth of Jesus Christ. And obviously we're not going to be in our regular study of 1 Corinthians um, today. And um, we are five days away from the cultural celebration of Christmas. And today, December 20th, ironically it's December 20th, 2020, like three 20s in a row, we were supposed to have our children's program today. And yet due to some sickness and with those that were involved in our desire to try to be cautious with the spreading of any sickness during this time, we've decided to move our children's program to January 3rd which is clearly a date after December 25th. And yet, I want to point out, it's within the cultural, within the cultural range of celebrating Christmas. We did this because we felt it was the best date available, and we didn't want to cancel the program. As we know, the kids put a lot of effort into the program, and we were not going to miss it, or I, nor did I want to use it next year. I wanted to see it this year. I think many of you did as well. And I wanted to see it this year because I love our Christmas programs. Um, I know we focus on the true meaning of Christmas when we have our children's programs every year. And I believe we do a good job of focusing on biblical truth. Each year, you don't come to Christian Fellowship Church to see a program about Santa or reindeer. You know, you come to hear truth about the real birth of Jesus Christ. And we want that for our children and we want that for the adults that are coming to visit and those who regularly attend as well. And I say that Jason and everyone that puts together the material does a commendable job, don't they? For those of us who regularly attend here, we know that the material is one that always focuses on the real birth of Jesus Christ. But I do realize that some people might say, January 3rd, that's really too late to do a children's Christmas program. But I point out there's this large cultural exception that I learned about this week that we fit into, and it deals with the 12 days of Christmas. Um, you know that song, Partridge on a Pear Tree? I always thought it ended on December 25th, but it starts on December 25th and goes all the way out to January like 5th. So January 3rd is within the 12 days of Christmas. So there, <laughs> okay. And so we will have our children's program within the range of the 12 days of Christmas. All right, so back to our Christmas message today. Today's message is going to be a topical message. We will be in many verses, and I hope this is a good message to bless all of you um, regarding the celebration of Christmas that goes along with what our children do in the children's program and what we should be doing every Christmas and then we also try to do on Christmas Eve and my plug for our Christmas Eve service as well. I've entitled my message, The Real Magic of Christmas is Divinely Supernatural. You like the slide up there? It's moving. It's kind of neat this year. A moving slide, okay? Now, before anybody gets upset with me with using the expression magic, let me explain. We live in a culture that celebrates Christmas in a very secular way. And when I talk about secular, we are talking about from a non-biblical driven way. The world has a worldly magic that surrounds this holiday. The whole Santa Claus theme 
and everything that goes with it, from the giving the, of the decorations and all the secular magic that, that comes with it. Even the day of December 25th is secular. We know now that we don't know the exact date in which Jesus was born. It was because the um, early church recognized that there were a bunch of pagans that celebrated uh, God's um, holiday on December 25th, Saturnella, that the early church said, well, you know, we can't get these people from um, continuing to celebrate this. This was a big part of their culture. Let's just switch it up. And let's start um, asking them to celebrate the birth of Jesus, these people who are now coming to faith. And so that's how we got December 25th. And some of the other aspects of trees and all the other aspects have just grown throughout the years. And so we know from church history, this started around the 4th century. And there is no single church writing of the church celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ through the first four centuries. Isn't that interesting? So now we do celebrate, but before we go on and say, boy, the inferiority of the early church, the reality of it is, is we recognize today, as we come to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, that many of us have grown up in a non-Christian home, and you know, the, and, and even Christian homes have incorporated a lot of the secular celebration, the decorations, the trees, and I get that. We bring those into our own culture, cultural celebration, and before we get too critical, I just want you to say, I want you to understand there is an, an allowance. The Bible in Colossians teaches about how liberty we have, and we've studied Christian liberty before, that, that it is something that we're allowed to do to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, um, but it's very important that we go so only so far that we do keep our guard up, and we um, are aware that um, that there's a lot of myth that is involved in this holiday, and yet it's how it's very important that parents are educating their children about what is true and what is not true, and it's important that the church only goes so far. Now, when I talk about Christmas magic, though, it is one of the main themes of the secular celebration. You um, have to understand that the exact expression Christmas magic, if you listen to movies and TV um, shows as well as commercials, the constant reference to Christmas magic is all around. And it's from children's stories to adult stories as well and you start listening to this expression, you will hear it. And there are even websites for adults. I found one this past week that if you go to it, you know, how you as an adult can recapture the Christmas magic that you had as a child. And there were five steps on how to do it. And I was gonna read those to you, but I thought, nah, for sake of time, I'm not. But I get it, even as an adult, I get it. I mean, I look at the fact that when I was a kid, I can still remember this magical feeling of waking up when I was like six and seven and eight years old on Christmas morning and seeing all these presents. I, 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 I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but one day when we're in heaven, I'm gonna ask God what happened when I was eight or nine years old because when I was about eight or nine years old, I'll never forget one day I was at my grandmother's, it was about 10 o'clock at night, we were getting ready to go home and I, I, um, 
I looked up in the sky, and I thought for sure I saw a sleigh <laughs> with, with reindeer. I, I, and I don't know what I saw, but Christmas magic, right? And right now, I know I didn't see a sleigh, but you, you just have that aura of this holiday. And so you see it with children, you see it with adults, and you see it with movies like It's a Wonderful Life, um, with angels involved, and you see it with like the movie Elf, where you have a sleigh with Santa flying over Central Park at the end of the movie, and just, it's just magical how everything works out. And today, if you um, have cable TV, you, you know that, oh my goodness, the Hallmark station is running 24-7 Christmas mo- mo- movies that are all about how the Christmas magic all works out, that every relationship ends up where somebody finds their soulmate. And it's just so endearing and so magical, right? Now, it's as if there's this magical, invisible force that's working to make every child get the present he or she wants, or every adult end up in the perfect relationship or perfect situation that they desire. It's Christmas magic. And as Christians, though, we know there is no Christian Christmas magic. Google, if you go on the internet, defines magic as the power of an apparently influence, uh, a power that influences the course of events by using a mysterious or supernatural force. And the reason we as Christians say there is no magic is that for Christians, there is no mystery force. We know that when the supernatural things happen, it is because of the divine. It is because of God. But as a reaction to tell the world that, hey, there's no magic, hey, there's no worldly Christmas magic, we can forget that there is a supernatural wonderment to this holiday. So if you thought today's message was about decrying Christmas magic, it's not. What I want to do is focus on the true Christmas magic, the true magic. And I use magic quote-unquote because I want you to understand I'm talking about a divine supernatural force. And when I talk about supernatural, we're talking about something that's beyond the scientific understanding of the laws of nature. And what I want us to do today is to celebrate the divinely supernatural aspect of the birth of Jesus Christ. I'm going to reference it every once in a while as magic, but I want you to understand I'm talking about the divine supernatural force. The real magic of Christmas is divinely supernatural. And I don't want us to react to the world's error and say, oh, you know, there's nothing supernatural about this day. It was, whenever it occurred. And so what I'd like us to do is to look at the birth of Jesus Christ and look at events around it. We're going to look at four events, and we're going to look at some spiritual considerations that come out of that. So hopefully you're already in Luke chapter 1, and you've got your sermon notes. And so what we're going to do is I want you to see these four supernatural events. And the very first one, I want you to fill in the blank, is with the word angel, okay? And the context of this is that God is now speaking to Israel after 400 years of silence. It's really hard for us to imagine when we study the Bible, we read the Bible, it seems like God from Genesis on is always interacting with people. But when you come to the last book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Malachi, God stops talking to Israel, and we know that for 400 years. It is in the early part of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, that an angel Gabriel appears to John the Baptist's father. 
we're not going to go into that situation here, but what we're going to focus on is now how the angel comes to a young girl, a virgin named Mary, who is the cousin of John's mother, Elizabeth, and she gets a visit from the same angel that appeared to the John the Baptist's father. So let me pick up in verse 26. I'm going to read down to verse 38. Now in the sixth month, now this is the sixth month of John the Baptist's mother being pregnant. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Verse 37 should be starred. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So in this passage, we see an angel named Gabriel break through time and space to visit Mary. So the key word is angel. This is an event um, where you don't have people being visited by angels on a normal course of events. And so anytime you have somebody visit you, that's no big deal. But when an angel comes, that is a big deal. And I know from reading the Bible, sometimes we think it is the normal course of events that people are always interacting with angels. This is it. You know, it's very, you know, you don't have angels visiting with people on a normal course of events. And so, you know, you, you have uh, movies today that I love. I do like It's a Wonderful Life. But you have angels in there and you have an angel interacting with people and that is not what God has as a norm. We do know that there is something called guardian angels, but we are not told that they're going to appear to us and talk to us. Hebrews talks about the fact that people will entertain angels unawares, not that they're going to interact and say, oh, I'm, I'm talking and I'm dealing with an angel. And also, it's very critical that we understand when we deal with angels, we're dealing with these supernatural beings. Gabriel, we've seen him all the way back in Daniel. The book of Daniel, I think it's one or two occurrences that he's there from 600 years ago. It is absolutely incredible who these beings are. And I'm not going to go into a doctrinal study in great detail of who angels are than to say they are fascinating beings that seem to not age, seem to be able to go in and out of places. And if you would like to know more about angels, 
one of the greatest books ever written on angels was written by a man who's not so much a theologian as he was a, as an evangelist, Billy Graham. Billy Graham wrote a great book that has stood the test of time. I think it was written, um, it was like 60 years ago. And so if you're looking for a Christmas present to give somebody, Billy Graham's book on angels, if you want to go into great detail on who angels are, that's a great book to still get. Because all he did was take a lot of Bible verses and say, this is what the Bible says about angels. It was a super book. And so when we look at angels, it's very important that we recognize these were supernatural events. And as I read obituaries these days, I still read it. You'll hear so-and-so died and they became an angel. And, you know, some of the Hallmark movies even deal with people who die and they become angels. That's not what happens, people. That is not angels are these supernatural beings. And for the angel to come here, it is something that is extraordinary. It's supernaturally divine. And there's two points I want to make out. Number one is the very presence of this angel is supernatural. And then second, he foretells of the Holy Spirit supernatural work. Because he tells her, look at verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy, the, for the child is to be called the Son of God. That's a supernatural message. And what I think it's really important for us to do is to tell our children, this is supernatural. This is God bringing that Christmas magic, but it's divinely supernatural. And we as adults should focus on this. This is God breaking into time and space with his angel to get his message out and to bring about something significant. Let's move on. Let's go over to Matthew. Basically, it's kind of interesting. We're going to look at the sequence of events, almost how these all played out. So go to Matthew chapter 1, and with your blanks, fill in the word affirmation. Now we're going to see the affirmation of the Lord's supernatural work in Mary. The Gospel of Matthew opens up with the genealogy of Jesus and then goes into what many of you have as a heading, the birth of Jesus Christ in verse 18. But more so, it's, it's more just the affirmation that it's occurred. And so, let me just read verses 18 and 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. He decided that he was not going to divorce her. He wasn't going to divorce Mary. Now, this is important that we look at this event and we look at what's happened here is not giving us details of how the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary, but just affirmed that it occurred. Because when you look at this, it just says she was with child. All right? She was with child. So we're not given any details other than an affirmation that it occurred. Luke said it would occur when Gabriel spoke to Mary, and now it has occurred. I don't know if in heaven we'll be able to get to see and understand exactly how this entire process played out. We're just to know it happened and understand that it gets affirmed right here. 
but we must realize this is supernatural. And we must realize this is the only time it has ever happened and ever will happen. And again, this is not something that is happening on an ordinary basis. But it is something we need to tell the children. This was supernatural. This is something that is out of the ordinary. This is, quote, unquote, true Christian Christmas magic. Okay? But again, not like the world, but of divinely being supernatural. And how God did this, we're never told. But one thing I do want us to stress, and I do want us that, you know, as a side note, always to remember, is I truly believe God was also working behind the scenes culturally. And what do I mean by that? Is when we look at the fact that they were betrothed, okay? You see up in verse 18, it says, Mary had been betrothed. This is something I've emphasized before, that a betrothal period was a, an engagement period that was in the Jewish culture that when the man and wife decided to get married, or the man and the woman decided to get married, that they would be betrothed. And it was like a one-year testing period. It was a one-year period in which the two of them came together, okay, and said, all right, we're going to test this thing out for the public and for ourselves. Ultimately, that the young girl would not get pregnant. And if she did, it would either show that she was unfaithful or if if she was pregnant, that he was unfaithful as well. And so this was something that God put in the culture. I mean, look, they could have had a culture. Don't you think about this? That the Jews could have had a culture that... A man and a woman said, hey, let's get married. And within a week, they were married. Or two months, they've been married. But no, God put this in there. And it's ingenious to help us to say, yes, this was truly a virgin birth. And so here we come to this event. And the betrothal was a part, I believe, of God working to verify that truly this was something that was supernatural. So this event is an affirmation what we have here but let's continue on in the story and what we're going to see now is an appearance of an angel of the lord fill in the blank with an appearance continuing on in the same chapter verse 20 it says but when he had considered this behold an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream saying joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary as your wife for the child who's been conceived in her is of the holy spirit She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Verse 24. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son And he called his name Jesus. So as we continue, we've seen, all right, the angels Gabriel's visit with Mary, key event. Then we just have Matthew recording that this event occurred by affirming that she was truly now with child and dealing with Joseph's disconcerting feeling. Hey, maybe I need to divorce this woman because she is with child. And now we come and we have an appearance of the Oh, I apologize. I picked up the wrong um, slide. It's, it's an appearance of an angel of the Lord. Okay, your sermon notes are correct. My slide is wrong. It's an appearance of an angel of the Lord. And when um, 
what we're seeing here is not an appearance of the angel of the Lord. And so you see when it says in verse um, of 20, an angel of the Lord appeared. Many of you are aware that in the Old Testament that often you would see the angel of the Lord appear. And the angel that is the angel has what's called the definite article. And I know many people don't like to have English lessons when they come to church. But in English, we have what's called a definite article with the word the, and we have indefinite, a and an. And when we see in the Old Testament the definite article, the angel of the Lord, we're talking about a specific angel. And when you study passages like Exodus that talk about the angel, the angel of the Lord in the burning bush, it, it's come to understand that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But here, we don't have the definite article. Um, in Greek, there is no indefinite article, and so it gets, in, it gets supplied. But the bottom line is, is what we're saying is that this is a non-named angel. We don't know which angel this is in this occasion. We just know that somehow God sent an angel. And here's part of the supernatural story. How does God have an angel come and appear in someone's dream? And again, this is not the norm. This is not normal. Some people might think I'm regularly having dreams and God is appearing to me. This is nowhere affirmed in scripture that this is going to be the norm for you. So I think it's absolutely supernatural Christmas magic that all of a sudden Joseph is having this dream and this sort of like conversation and he's able to remember it and know exactly what to do and to believe that this dream that he has is something that isn't just something out of that food that he ate you know you know we have dreams and I don't want people waking up and having dreams and thinking they're going to change the entire course of their life based upon a dream there is nowhere that you have that in scripture but this is supernatural. Joseph knows that it's supernatural, and therefore he decides, hey, because of the appearance of an angel of the Lord, what you have here is exactly, exactly what he needs to do. So very much Christmas magic, very much something we need to tell children, very much something we need to understand is special and unique. Well, let's go over to lastly, the actual details with when Jesus was born. And you go over to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see multiple announcements, okay? So go back to Luke chapter 2. And we move at least nine plus months um, after when angel the angel appeared to... Mary in Luke chapter 1. We know that, that there's been a decree for a census, and in 1 to 7, you're not given a supernatural recounting of when Jesus was born. And all of a sudden, you know, angels appeared, and, and you know, an angel appeared as the perfect physician, midwife, whatever. You don't have little drummer boys coming up and playing their song, and you don't have angels talking, and we don't even know whether Jesus cried or not, okay? And, and you don't get any of those details. God doesn't focus on anything supernatural with the birth of jesus look at verse six while they were there the days were completed for her to give birth boom that's it you would think you would get a lot more elaboration on this but you don't 
Where does the supernatural come in when you come to the passage of Luke regarding the birth of Jesus? It comes in announcements. Announcements of the angels to the shepherds. Okay, and so look at verses 8 to 14. I'm going to read them. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord, here's another angel, okay, indefinite article. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. Basically, I bring you the gospel of great joy which shall be for all the people for today in the city of david there's been born for you a savior who is christ the lord there will this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger and suddenly there appeared with the the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased now you notice that it says an angel of the lord and then a heavenly host how in the world do we know the heavenly hosts are angels? Well, they're, they're supernatural beings. There are psalms like Psalm 148, verse 2. There are psalms like 148, verse 2, and Psalm 103, 119 to 21 that talk about angels and hosts. And there's the, it's probably the closest that we get that say these hosts, this multitude and large magnitude of, peop, of beings are angels. All right, so theologically, how do we know that heavenly hosts are angels? Well, those are the passages that people look and say, well, it seems like God is alluding to the fact that these are angels. And so what you have here is an angel supernaturally announces the birth of Jesus, that he's the Savior, and that's an incredible announcement. And then you have an angelic host bringing a praise. Again, not supernatural. I don't think when I was born, this appeared, okay? When other humans are born, this doesn't appear. This is not the norm. And I know it sounds really bananic, really simple, but what we have here is what occurred, who knows when, December 25th or April 1st or whenever it was, you have these angels one time coming in and saying to these lowly shepherds, and remember the shepherds were people that were considered the outcasts of society. Because they were always out in the fields and considered often unclean, they couldn't participate in the Jewish um, temple festivals and, and, and services on a weekly basis. And so God chose these humble people to, to bring the announcement to, so that they could go back, honor the baby, and then start to spread. Hey, we had these angels talk to us. So you have these two announcements. And so when you look at the second one, Look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. Doesn't that appear on a lot of Christmas cards? Most of us will see that. 99% of the Christmas cards that I have seen, um, just using an arbitrary number there, but a high number, will keep the, keep the first part of verse 14 on the Christmas card. But it's rare that I find a Christmas card that says, and on earth peace among men with that last line with whom he is pleased. And today we understand pleasing God, the only way you can do it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith alone in Christ alone. It's incredible that, that even in Christmas cards, sometimes the message of the gospel is kept out. And it's important that we always remember in this supernatural announcement, when the first angel says, hey, you know, the Savior is born, 
And it's right from the start, it was the idea that it's going to be very specific. Not everyone is going to be blessed by this. The people who only believe, and this is my exhortation, let us make sure that we believe. Let us make sure that others believe as well. Because Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he doesn't go into the kingdom of God. The only way to please God is to come through Jesus Christ. And unless you have done that, the birth of Jesus Christ, I say this in a sense, is not going to bless you to the full extent that it could have. Obviously, society's been greatly blessed by the coming of Jesus Christ. And yet, ultimately, the only way to be truly blessed by this supernatural event is to believe and become born again. Now, let me just take you through five considerations. What I want to do is just, if you flip your sermon notes over, is just talk about, when we look at this, let's consider some supernatural um, application. And number one is let's just remember the birth of Jesus is truly a supernatural event we should marvel over. And you should fill in the blank events. And I realize now when I made my sermon, when I did this, I took the wrong, I took the wrong um, notes. But the, the idea is, is that it's still up there. It's the right words, but just the wrong underline on this one. The birth of Jesus is truly a supernatural event we should marvel over. So the key word is event. One event, the birth of Jesus, is where these other four events were all tied to. The birth of Jesus is not ordinary in any way. Children are born every day all around the world, but history has never seen a child born like this. And just because the world overreacts, we should not overreact. Just we should not say, oh, we're going to try to downplay this holiday. This should be something we consider divinely magical, divinely supernatural. And we should marvel at it, and we should not back down in any way. We should sit every once in a while and contemplate what God did to come into time and space to make the event of the birth of Jesus Christ so fantastic. Yet at the same time, we need to remember supernatural events are not the norm. When I use the word norm for normal, okay, the idea of the supernatural that interacts with the norm is not what happens to us on a regular basis. And I think this is key because you watch the Hallmark movies, you watch the It's a Wonderful Life movies, and you would think that this is happening all the time for people who are believers. And the reality of it is it's not. Life is filled with day-to-day hard, normal routine. And I mean, even Joseph and Mary who interacted with the angels, basically, this is like one-time events, few-time events in their life. They're not dealing with this on a regular basis. And we've got to remember this because the world pushes that Christmas magic is a day-to-day event, and it's not. And so sometimes you think, if I live by faith, shouldn't I have more of this? No, living by faith is going to be the hard, take the Bible and live it out and not see this magic every day. Third, salvation, two fill-in-the-blanks here. Salvation is a supernatural event seen in a new direction of every believer's life. And what we want to see here is the key, two key words, salvation, the idea of being delivered, okay, <clears throat> is the idea of being delivered from hell, the idea of being delivered from sin. And for every believer, each believer, the idea that this baby Jesus grows up and to be our Savior, to change us from the inside, that's supernatural. 
we need to be rejoicing over this. We need to think, hey, I, I, you know, I recognize I may not see angels on a normal basis, but I've got to recognize my new direction. I've repented. I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is a miracle. This is the supernatural touching my life. Listen, if you're not seeing that new direction, you're in trouble. Not because I'm, trying, I'm bringing condemnation. I want you to say to yourself, wow, I've touched the divine. I have been born again. I know that I'm on the new direction. And this is what I want you to see, that you as a believer can marvel at Christmas and when the whole world is celebrating and worried about, is there gonna be a new car in my, in my driveway? Or is there gonna be a diamond gift given to me? Listen, we've been given the greatest gift ever. There's nothing any of us who are believers in Jesus Christ could ever exchange Jesus Christ and our salvation and being born again for, right? Absolutely. And then, for, so fourth, if I'm going to be celebrating supernatural events and I'm going to celebrate on Christmas, the idea of sanctification, the idea of being more holy, it's the idea, it's a big word, I know, but you fill in the blank, we change and become more and more like Christ in us, Colossians chapter 1. And that's something to celebrate. This is something you need to tell children. What makes Christmas magic so incredible is that the God who, who, who was born in that manger grows up, dies on that cross, and the Bible tells me in Colossians 1, he comes to live inside me. And that's not myth. That is not make-believe. That is not something that is like, oh, a Rudolph floating over the sky. All right? This is an incredible reality. And the more and more I become like Jesus Christ, is something that is supernatural. Listen, if I could tell you, here's five steps to how to all lose weight. Here's five steps on how to be a better husband. Here's five steps on how to be a better wife. Here's how to be a better friend. Five steps, and anyone can do it, then that's not supernatural. But if I am somebody that cannot get over lust, and I cannot get over lying, and I cannot get over drinking, and I can come to you today and say, I am a changed person, because it's from the inside out that I'm changed, that is supernatural. That's sanctification. And, and, and that is something that when we look at the birth of Jesus Christ, and we say, wow, this is what he brought. We've got to understand, historically, Old Testament saints never had what we had. You've got to marvel at the gift of Jesus Christ. You've got to understand what he's brought to us is supernatural. And, and you've got to be th saying, this is more than Christ Christmas magic. This is divinely supernatural. What Jesus Christ has brought is phenomenal. And it should be we should celebrate it, whether it's December 25th or just every day. And then lastly, big word, glorification. Glorification is a supernatural event that every believer will experience. Romans chapter 8 tells us that this is the end game for every one of us. We're, glorification means to be put in a wonderful position. And we're not talking about God's glory here. This is for us. This is something that when I look at the birth of Jesus Christ, I got to remember the, what started in a manger comes about to an end game for me where I end up in heaven. And to think that somehow, some way, I am standing here in a room in Northwest Indiana, but because of my faith in Jesus Christ, and you can contemplate this too, that somehow, some way, I am gonna be translated better than a Star Trek, you know, all of a sudden, 
where they beam me up Scotty, somehow, someway, God is going to put me in heaven, and I'm going to be in a body that will never decay, never face death, and everything comes about because ultimately Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago. You better believe, I better had understand that come Christmas morning, I had better be more concerned about the, 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 more concerned about focusing on the incredible reality of what this child means. You know, I've told you guys for years, ever since I preached a message like 20 years ago, that on Jesus being the branch. And so one of the things my kids get every Christmas, every Christmas, my kids get a branch, they get a stick in their stocking or they get it wrapped up. Why? Because every Christmas, yeah, we do play the cultural game, but every Christmas I want them to remember, you know, you know this is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the focus and to think that we go to heaven because of this, not, you know, it's better than a sleigh ride over Central Park. It's better than becoming an angel yourself because somehow being a human is better than being an angel. And we know that from Hebrews chapter 2, how the angels long to look into our salvation, be a part of what we get to experience. You better believe that the holiday of the birth of Jesus Christ is truly something to celebrate and just to marvel at the magic. I hope you think about all of these supernatural considerations and you just rejoice in this incredible holiday. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for allowing us to just take the time and the reflection to look at what Jesus has really brought us. We thank you so much for the incredible story, knowing that it's not a myth, that it is not, it is not a story like of Santa and Rudolph or a wonderful life. It is more than an elf story. It is a true story. And I'm hoping, God, that everyone here is participating in the incredible blessings and benefits of what Jesus Christ brings. I pray, God, that we're reveling in the incredible story of the supernatural, the supernatural way that you touched our lives. I'm hoping, God, that believers can say, yes, I've been born again, and I can see Christ in me, the hope of glory, and that I am becoming more and more like Jesus. And I'm thankful, God, that you've painted me at times in the corners where I can't change myself, where I've struggled with some sin, and I haven't been able to just say, I'm going to make my life better. And then through your word and through divine circumstances, you've changed me. And I'm hoping that others will revel in that as well. And God, how I pray that if someone's here today saying, you know, I don't see a change of direction. I don't see a change of sanctification in my life. That maybe they need to come back to square one and just say, I need to finally come to faith in Christ. I need to repent of my sins and truly commit my life to Jesus Christ. For belief is not just a one-time act. It's a lifetime act, but it's a life of submission, lordship, coming to Jesus Christ. And I pray that anyone that has never done that before will do that right now just by calling out to Jesus and say, God, take my life, take over. It's supernatural, God, that we could say these words and that you could come right now and inside someone and live inside them. The baby that was born 2,000 years ago that's not a myth is actually in every believer today. Every person sitting in this room right now has that baby inside them in a spiritual manner. May we just leave today rejoicing over that reality. 
In Christ's name, amen.